So our reading today is Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Let's pray as we come to this bit of God's Word. Heavenly Father, we pray, please, that you would be at work by your Holy Spirit in our hearts, soften them, open uh, the eyes of our hearts that we might fully uh, perceive the Lord Jesus. And teach us, as we come to your word, change us by your Holy Spirit, that we might live lives that bring honor and glory to him. We pray this in his name. Amen. 
uh, I'm up without my clicker, so perhaps if you can click on to the first picture. This is a picture of uh, Catherine Graham, uh, the publisher of the American newspaper, the, Wa the Washington Post. Um, on the evening of uh, the 19th of June, 1971, uh, Catherine was uh, standing in her home um, on the phone with her editor facing a major dilemma. Uh, the, the newspaper had documents that they just had to publish, uh, top secret documents, government documents, um, about, its in, about the government's involvement in the Vietnam War. And these documents uh, revealed that successive US governments and presidents had known full well uh, for many years that the Vietnam War was unwinnable. And yet, they had continued to send thousands and thousands of troops to the country. Men were dying in their thousands for nothing. It was the Pentagon Papers. So these documents, they were simply too important not to share. And yet, the dilemma came because the courts had ordered the newspapers that they absolutely must not publish them. If you do, they said, you will be sued, you will be subject to criminal charges. And so on that evening, Catherine was standing in her home on the, on the phone to her editor, facing a major dilemma. Publish or not? What do you do when you've got a message which on the one hand is so important you just have to share it, and yet, on the other hand, you're not allowed to share it because those who are in charge think of it as dangerous. What do you do? You have to share it, but you're not allowed to share it. In particular, what do we do um, when those who are in charge try and silence the gospel, the good news about Jesus? Publish or not? Speak or stay quiet? That's the question we're really looking at uh, this morning from uh, most of Acts chapter 4. But it's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Acts, so let me just recap where we are. Last time, if you remember, we had a miracle and a message. Uh, Peter and John were going to the temple. They come across a man who was begging, a man who had been lame from birth. And amazingly, Peter says to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk and he does. He gets up and walks and jumps his way into the temple. And you may remember at the time how all of the people um, recognize what has happened and rush towards Peter and John. And Peter speaks to them at length, uh, pointing them to Jesus and their need to turn and trust in him. But as we come to our passage today, um, we find out that actually Peter never gets to the end of his message. Uh, before he, because before he gets there, the religious authorities arrive and stop him. Let me just read verses 1 to 3 again. The priests and the captain of the temple guard, that's the, the temple police, if you like, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people they're disturbed by their teaching, and they seize Peter and John. 
and because it was evening, put them in jail until the next day. Then in the morning for their, he for their hearing, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the council of religious leaders, they, they bring out all of the big guns. So verse 5, we're told that it's who's there, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law. You've got Annas and Caiaphas there too, two names which would have been very well known to Peter because these were two people who had been instrumental in uh, deciding that Jesus should be crucified. So the Sanhedrin, they really lay on the intimidation factor. And they question Peter and John in verse 7. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, I guess Peter uh, might have felt intimidated and just said nothing. Um, he might have answered them straight and said, we did this in the name of Jesus and just left it like that. But filled with the Holy Spirit, brilliantly, Peter goes on the front foot and he rephrases their question Effectively saying to them, look, when you say by what power or by what name you did this, by, by this, just to be clear, you mean this amazing thing, this act of kindness that we did for this man who was lame but has now been healed. That's what you mean by this. That's what you've arrested us for, isn't it? He goes on the front foot, highlighting their hypocrisy. He then accuses them I mean, look at his answer in verse 10. By what name did you do this? By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. In other words, he says to them very boldly, we're not the guilty ones here. We're not the ones who've, who've, who've done anything wrong. It's you. And this was the Sanhedrin that put Jesus to death and then speaks boldly to them about Jesus and the need to trust in him. Amazing courage. Well, the Sanhedrin, they then withdraw to discuss what they're going to do, and they decide to issue a gag order in verse 18 and 19. To stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But again, Peter and John just refused to be intimidated. Uh, you know, again, they, 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 could have, they could have complied with this. They could have nodded um, and then gone away and ignored it. But Peter tells them really very clearly that they will not be obeying their command. Verse 19, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. We will not be doing what you say here. We just want to make that very clear. And so the Sanhedrin warned them again, threatened them again, and let them go. Well, what does this uh, passage, what does this episode teach us? about what we're to do when people in charge try and silence the gospel like the Sanhedrin did on that day. Well, I think this passage gives us three answers. Firstly, it calls on us not to be surprised. That's our first point here. Don't be surprised 
um, up until uh, this point in the book of Acts. Uh, the church really had been on honeymoon. Um, it had grown daily. Um, it had enjoyed the favor of all of the people. And apart from a tiny little bit of scoffing on the day of Pentecost, there'd been no pushback. They were free to speak the gospel. But from chapter 3 onwards, it's as if normal service resumes. Those in charge seek to clamp down on it, and that seems to be the pattern now going forward, and we'll see that as we continue in the rest of the book of Acts. So this is now the normal pattern. And actually, beyond the book of Acts, into the life of the church and the early church through the centuries, this has been the pattern again. Attempts to suppress and silence the good news about Jesus. And actually, that, this shouldn't surprise us, because that was how they treated Jesus as well. Again, Peter references this in, in, in his defense, the Sanhedrin. You crucified Jesus, verse 10. You rejected the stone which has become the cornerstone, verse 11. Why did this Sanhedrin uh, kill Jesus? It wasn't for anything that Jesus did. It was for what Jesus said. It was for what Jesus said about himself and about them and about how to live for God and about the need for forgiveness. It was about what he said. They killed him in order to silence him, to muzzle him. And given that they were so desperate to silence him, why would we expect them to hand his followers a microphone and say, go on ahead, you have the freedom to say what you like. Why would we expect that? Now, when those, who, who seek to, uh, when those who are in charge seek to silence the gospel, of course we should be saddened, we should be concerned, but we shouldn't be surprised. Now, this is the normal pattern of things. And for us, I guess the question comes then, do we expect uh, to face attempts to silence the gospel? Or to put it another way, how much does... Uh, gospel suppression and opposition, how much does that feature in our expectations for the rest of our Christian life? I was recently reading a kid's version of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, a really excellent version, um, written by John Bunyan 350 years ago from his prison cell. And it's a story that, if you don't know, it lays out um, the Christian life in a story format from, from repentance right through to glory. And just reading it again, I must say, as a, as a 21st century person in Northern Ireland, I was just quite surprised and shocked by, by Bunyan's emphasis on hostility to the gospel. The main character, Christian, is put in prison. His friend is martyred. This is just the backdrop to their story, a backdrop of hostility. But because we haven't really experienced that so much in our time, in our place, the danger is that we start to think that it won't ever come, and that when it does, we get caught unaware. 
So I wonder, as you think ahead to the rest of your Christian life and kind of imagine how it might play out, I wonder, as you think ahead, does being hauled in front of HR feature in your thinking? What about getting sacked? What about spending a week in jail for speaking the gospel? What about being told that you must stop speaking about Jesus? How much does that feature in your expectations for your Christian life? Well, if we're to last the course, we've got to get our expectations right. So what do we do when people try and silence the gospel? Number one, don't be surprised. This is the normal pattern of things. Secondly, um, don't lose heart because Jesus won't let his gospel be silenced. Remember in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus promised that his gospel would spread right across the world. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And here in chapter 4, we see Jesus come good on his promise, refusing to let that gospel be silenced, doing this amazing miracle through, through Peter and John, winning them a hearing for the gospel. And by the time the crowd have heard enough of Peter's message to be able to believe in Jesus, Jesus then whisks Peter and John off for another gospel opportunity in front of the Sanhedrin. But not only is Jesus kind of arranging gospel opportunities here, he's also equipping his people to speak it. As Peter is under trial, uh, Jesus fills Peter with the Holy Spirit so that he speaks with boldness and ignores the gag order. So what we see here in this chapter is Jesus at work, Jesus ruling and reigning from heaven, not allowing his gospel to be silenced. I don't know if you've ever played with a football in a swimming pool or in the sea. There's always someone, you get the the football and you try and push it down under the water, you keep it down, try and hide it from your friends, you just... It inevitably doesn't work. The ball always ends up popping up because of the air in the ball. Well, in one sense, the gospel is a bit like that football. At points, people will try and suppress it and hide it and keep it hidden and keep it down. But because Jesus is behind the power of the gospel, it's not going to stay down. It's going to keep popping up. Jesus won't allow the gospel to be silenced. So when you experience or when you hear of attempts to silence the gospel, don't lose heart. Jesus won't let it happen. Which means, for example, that if Jesus plans for his gospel to break into North Korea, say, in the next five years, then quite simply, no gag order, no government law is going to stop that because Jesus is behind the spread of the gospel. If God has plans for the gospel to radically break into your workplace, then it simply doesn't matter that at the moment there might be a a culture of frowning on people sharing the gospel. It doesn't matter. 
because that gospel, if God has got a plan for that gospel to break in, it will. Because Jesus has promised that it will spread. He is behind the spread of the gospel. So don't lose heart. But then thirdly, pray for courage. Because we, what we see here as well is that we mustn't let the gospel be silenced. Just because Jesus won't let it happen doesn't mean that we can sit back and kick back and just relax and let him do what he needs to do. Actually, here we're being called to follow in Peter and John's footsteps by speaking the gospel even when we're told not to. Why is it that Peter and John refuse to be silenced? Why are they so adamant that they've got to keep speaking? Well, it's not because they love the sound of their own voice. It's not because we've got a right as much as anybody to speak and uh, you can't silence us and we're just going to talk over you regardless of what you're saying. We're not going to... There's nothing to do with anything like that. Why do they refuse to be silenced? Well, it's because of verse 12. <clears throat> it's because they realize that the gospel is the only hope for anyone to be saved. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I read this book um, a few years ago. It's called The 33. It's the uh, story, the true life story of the Chilean mining rescue from 2010. Uh, 33 men, you may remember it was all over the, the, the papers and the news channels. Uh, 33 men trapped 700 meters underground um, for 69 days in a copper mine. Well, they launched a rescue operation. I think we've got a picture, a sketch. Um, office rescue operation. Um, they, they started by beginning to drill three holes uh, down to where they were. It makes a lot of sense. They called them A, B, and C. And they drilled down, and because if, if one didn't work, they've got other options. Um, but six weeks into the rescue operation, drills A and C catastrophically failed. They failed, and there was no hope of, of, of going any further. All hope now lay solely on drill B. And so when drill B broke, there simply was no alternative. They had to fix it. Drill B had to continue. It was the only hope of rescue. The Bible tells us that our world is heading for judgment, like those 33 miners stuck underground in desperate need of being rescued. Now, some people say that if there is a threat of judgment, and there probably isn't, but if there is, don't panic, because there are loads of ways to, to, to avoid it. Be a good person, or try and be generous, or follow a religion. It doesn't matter which one, just one of them, and do it sincerely. So don't panic. Of course, the reality is that all other rescue options have failed. All hope of rescue lies solely 
with Jesus Christ. He is, if you like, drill B. And so when attempts are made to try and silence this, this gospel, we simply have no alternative. We must keep speaking it. Because in the gospel, we have the only hope of rescue. If the gospel of Jesus is silenced, all hope dies. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We mustn't be silenced. And so for us, will we pray for courage to share the gospel and keep sharing the gospel? Will you pray for the ongoing indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life to overcome the social pressure to stay quiet? Will you pray for courage to gently, respectfully, honestly, warmly, but also clearly and faithfully share the gospel because it is the only hope for the world? So what have we said? When those who are in charge try and silence the gospel, what do we do? Don't be surprised if it's what they did to Jesus. Why would it be any different for us? Don't lose heart. Jesus won't let it happen. And thirdly, pray for courage. It's too important a message to be silenced. In her memoir, Catherine Graham, uh, that lady I, I mentioned at the start, writes about that evening. Uh, she speaks about the conversations with her writers who urged her and pleaded with her to publish and the conversations with her lawyers who urged her and plead with her not to publish and the dilemma she faced. It came to decision time. She says, she wrote this. I took a big gulp and said on the phone, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, let's go, let's publish. And with an act of courage, the truth came out. In the gospel, we have a message that is even more important, far, far more important than that. So what about us? Will we publish or not? Will we speak or stay quiet? Let's pray for courage that we might be those who speak and share and not be silenced. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus, which has brought salvation to us and forgiveness to us. And we pray, please, Heavenly Father, that we might have right expectations about the Christian life. Uh, we pray that you would help us to, that you would give us courage, that we would uh, speak the gospel, knowing that you are in charge, being confident that you are in charge, but that we might speak the gospel and share it gently and truthfully and warmly in conversations with people, but that we would not be silenced because the hope of the world lies in the gospel. We thank you for it. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.